there are moments in our lives that are very defining to where we are now. Many of you probably don't know much of this uh, backstory. It was 1998, and I graduated from my uh, degree. I finished my studies in theology. They lasted longer than I planned. I planned to do a, a, a three-year diploma, and I ended up doing three different courses, uh, all sort of uh, overlapping. And uh, my intention when I sensed the call to, to go to Bible college was never to become a pastor. Um, I always uh, was a little bit allergic to church politics. <laughs> and also, probably due to my very direct nature, didn't really fit the picture, the stereotypical picture of a pastor. Um, and I very much thought I'd be involved in some sort of a parachurch uh, work, something similar probably to Cape and Ray, uh, but in a sort of different environment in Romania. So my plan was to come for three years, do some training, return back home, and be involved in parachurch work. And uh, the three years became five years uh, with, you know, more and more study. And at the time when I finished, I strongly sensed the call from God to stay on, and very reluctantly so. I didn't want to stay on. I didn't have anything really clear in terms of staying on, just a sense of God's guidance for that. And um, the, the sort of summer, uh, the end of the summer and late summer of 98 was very much uh, a, a summer of searching, trying to find out, well, what is it, Lord, that you want me to do if you want me to stay on? Uh, what is I need to do? So I engaged at the advice of some friends with an organization called CareForce, who was placing usually um, students who were finishing uni in a secular sort of uh, environment in terms of degrees who would give them a, a year to work as volunteers in a church, to usually do youth work or kids' work or help with anything. It's, it's what nowadays they call apprentices uh, in, in different churches or ministry trainees. And uh, I applied to CareForce. Obviously, I was probably one of their most overqualified candidates, you know, with five years of theology under my belt. So it was a bit of an interesting thing where, where I would be placed. And uh, I remember that there was an interview with a church in, in, in Derbyshire, in the Derby area. And I went, and it was, it, it, on paper, it was a good fit. And it was a, a very much an up-and-coming church in a particular circle. Um, and they rang me back, and they wanted me to go. But I, I just sensed it, it wasn't right. And I know what was wrong now, looking back, I know why it felt like it wasn't right. And I turned it down. And I hate doing stuff like that because uh, I'm a bit of a control freak when it comes to the future and wanting to know, Lord, what am I meant to do? You know, and especially when it comes to such a situation where you've got to move out from college accommodation and you've got nowhere to go and nothing to do. And, you know, people are, are saying, what, what are you doing with your life? So I, I, I really wanted to have some certainty uh, in terms of that. But I had to say no. And I went back to the guys, and the guy said, okay, we're going to look at something else. So a job became available in uh, uh, County Fermanagh uh, in, in a church. And I was all geared up to go over and, and have an interview. And then the person who was already there decided to stay another year. So then they, that door got closed. And then a church became available in Inverness. 
and I've been in touch with them. And again, it was uh, things were getting planned, and uh, a weekend was was getting ready. And a week and a half before, I vividly remember, it was a Wednesday, and I had a very very strong urge. And I don't, you know, I don't always have this hotline to heaven where God is always at every little detail. You know, now is the time, Christy, writing in the sky, make yourself a cup of coffee. You know, it isn't like that. That, I don't want to give you the impression that that's what it's like. But it was a really, really, in a sense, of the voice of God saying, you've got to ring them and tell them you're not going. And I thought, this is just really... I mean, talk about pushing me at, at the edge of my discomfort on this. And I rang, and the minister was a fairly young minister, and uh, he was somebody who was probably very open to God speaking. And uh, he, you know, he said, Christy, you just have to go with what you sense the Lord is doing. We'd be sad not to meet you, and we're quite geared up to have you come up. But I just know from my own experience, and when God is speaking, you've got to go with that. And this was about 11 o'clock on the Wednesday. I put the phone down, and I thought, this stinks, really. Uh, I don't like that aspect of my relationship with God. You know, when he plays these games. Where I don't know what's, what's, what's going to be happening. What's this all about? Later on in the afternoon, early afternoon, I got a phone call from Michael Breton. Michael and Leslie had been colleagues of mine. I actually, Leslie was enrolled in the first year when I went in 93. Michael came a, a year later. And they were really good friends of mine. But not to the sense of we were talking every week. So he was a little bit out of the blue, and he said, you know, what are you doing? And I said, well, and I told him, you know, I'm just looking for the next step. And actually, this morning, I just closed the last door that was available, so I haven't got a clue. And he said, you should be coming up to Canforth. And he said, I know that FM are looking for church workers. That was a term that was used. So he said, I know there's quite a few churches probably looking into it, so... You should, you should just, come, just come at a weekend anyway. You know, it'd be nice to see you. You get a little bit of a break from Birmingham. Birmingham. And you, you just come up, and it'd be really great to see you. And uh, at the weekend, I came. National Express, you know. I used to get very travel sick before I started driving. It was a horrible experience. So I came, and during that weekend, I got to meet with uh, Pastor Allen, who... Um, was one of the uh, key people that enabled my coming here. And within a couple of weeks, I was in Carnford. The church at Carnford, I don't think they were planning to get a church worker. They didn't have the funds to have a church worker. Um, accommodation became available in Milled. Uh, Andrew and Anika Gibbons, just uh, Paul Kervin, just vacated the flat, the granny flat. So accommodation became available. And they were incredibly generous to, to be able to offer some accommodation. And then I vividly remember seeing a list. Folks in the church, some of them still here, who would give monthly a certain amount of money to support the church in taking me on as a church worker. I mean, that was a turning point in my life. I could have never written that script that way. You know, to move from Romania and end up in Carnforth with no particular... Uh, direct connection as you would expect it. And everything about it was so miraculous. And now, 24 years later, you look back and you see a turning point. 
And God has this incredible habit of meeting with people and turning them around and creating this turning point, redirection moment. And this is what I want us to look in, in our continuation of the series of encounters we got. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul, and we're going to camp in Acts chapter 9, and we'll see how God changed the direction of Paul's life in an incredibly significant way. Now, don't get confused. Paul and Saul are the same person, just uh, different usage of names. In my official papers, I'm actually, my, my dad got confused when he went to register me. I was supposed to be Christian, but he got my first name wrong. So he, he, Peter was supposed, Petra was supposed to be my middle name, but he got it all confused. So officially, I'm PC Mergu, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> but obviously, everybody knows me by Christian. Well, it's a little bit like that with Paul and Saul. Same person, just a different usage of name. And just to provide a little bit of background, Saul, Paul, uh, was a young uh, aspiring leaders within Judaism. And at the time after Jesus' resurrection, death and resurrection and ascension, the church was birthed and became, became very influential in Jerusalem. And Paul, Saul, was very keen to stop this because as far as he could see, this was a threat to Judaism. This was a sect that was heretical. These were a group of people that were teaching wrong doctrine about God. And they had to be snuffled out. They had to be stopped. And he made everything that was possible to try to do that. And as part of that mission, now he isn't just trying to eliminate Christianity in Jerusalem, but because Christians were driven out through persecution out of Jerusalem, he is now going to Damascus, modern-day Libya. So he's going even further in his zeal, as he's trying to destroy and eliminate Christianity. And this is where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Wow, what a description for your CV. Breathing out murderous threats. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that was the nickname that was given to Christianity. That was the first name of Christianity, if you want, the way, referring to Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. Whether men or women, that he may take them as prisoners to Jerusalem, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. What an encounter with God. And what we see here, and I'm picking up just a few things this morning that could be an encouragement to us. The reason we're looking at these encounters with God, A, is because we learn so much from 
history and biblical history about God and who he is. And he is unchanging, so what we see in there is still applicable to us today. But actually, as we're going through the different encounters, they may resonate with different people in the room. And what strikes me right here, that the God that meets with Saul is a God of love. I've already told you that Saul was determined to extinguish Christianity. He was a man who was absolutely set in his desire to eliminate any Christians, even if it meant killing them. And we know again from the story that Luke tells in Acts that really there was a moment when one of the leaders of the early church, one of the deacons in the early church, a man filled with the Spirit, and a man held in high regard, Stephen, he was martyred for his faith. And Saul, Paul, was present there. That was the extent of the man's zeal. He was locked into a theological system, but the theological system that he was locked in actually made him do things that were quite abhorrent. He was able to hear the preaching of the gospel through Stephen because as Steve, before Stephen was killed, he preached Christ. He preached the gospel. He told them who Jesus was. So actually, if Saul would have been paying attention, he would have been able to hear the voice of God speaking to him. But he was so locked in his thinking, he was so walled that he was not able to hear the Spirit of God speaking through the words of Stephen. He didn't want to hear anything. There's a beautiful picture it's, it's, it's ugly, but it's beautiful because it actually tells the truth. Where when, when, when Stephen was speaking, people began to put their fingers in their ears because they didn't want to hear what he was saying. Paul didn't do that physically, but he probably did that metaphorically through closing his heart to the message of the gospel. And that made him be so determined to destroy Christianity he oversaw Stephen's execution and then he pursued this task of trying to go even further than Jerusalem. And in Damascus, probably at the time, there were about 30 or 40 synagogues. And he was going to go through all of them and try to find out whether there were these people who belonged to the way. So that he could arrest them, bring them to Jerusalem. And you can imagine the worst. Here's the thing. Saul, Paul, may have been sincere, but he was deeply mistaken and misguided. I hear this so often nowadays. Oh, but they are sincere. It isn't just about being sincere. It is about embracing truth and whether your sincerity actually connects with truth, not just anybody can be sincere in any stupid thing that they believe or follow or they do. Sincerity is not a badge of honor. Paul may have been sincere, but he was deeply mistaken because he closed his heart to the gospel and he was determined to kill off Christianity. But a beautiful thing is, in spite of who he was, God loved him. Now, for me and you, it's an easy, sort of easy concept to take in, to say, oh, well, God loved Paul. But imagine being part of the family of Stephen. 
How would you feel? How would you feel if your son, your husband, your brother, your cousin, your dad had been just being killed by somebody and I was to tell you that their killer, God loved them? Pretty uncomfortable. But that's the reality. And yet God loved Saul. God loved Paul. And through Jesus, through this encounter on the Damascus Road, he reaches out to him. God could have punished him. God could have killed Saul, Paul, because he was a threat to the church. We sometimes pray for our brothers and sisters in suffering churches, and sometimes you feel, maybe not you because you're nice people, but sometimes I feel within myself like praying those imprecatory psalms where you're just calling out God's wrath upon those who do unjust. And God could have done it, but he didn't. Because that's not the God that meets with Saul. He's a God of love who makes the first move in encouraging Saul to turn to him. And then the beautiful thing is that this God of love isn't just staying remotely distant from him, but he engages with him by speaking to him. Listen to these words. As he neared Damascus on the journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? This God of love is a God who takes the initiative. It's the God who makes the first move. It's the God who takes the first step. It's the God who interrupts. Saul's murderous journey and his descent on that path of pursuing Christians and killing them. God intervenes. God stops him. Because that's what a God of love does. And he speaks to him. He addresses him. And he says, why are you persecuting me? I love the way he calls him by name. He says, Saul, Saul. This is a personal message. That's what God does. He speaks to people personally. He addresses him by his name. And that's powerful. We know in our own context, when somebody remembers our name, straight away, there's something in that. Very powerful. We love to be known. And the God of love, the God who speaks to us, knows our name. And speaks our name. And he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's probably the very first time we also realize that those words through which when we accept Jesus into our life, we are identified with him. If anybody persecutes a follower of Christ, they're persecuting Christ himself. Because the two have become one. Because obviously it wasn't Jesus that Saul was persecuting, but the followers of Jesus. But in Jesus' eyes, they were one. And This is why he's saying to him, why are you persecuting me? The God who speaks, speaks his name. And he just calls him to obedience. 
Saul answers back and he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. And then he says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The God who speaks to Saul is calling him to obedience. It's the same message that centuries and over the whole world is carried on. A message to obedience, a message through which Christ calls us to himself. And he gives him instruction, calls him to go into Damascus, and you'll find out you need to read for yourself and how he sends him to one of his trusted leaders and disciples who takes him under his wing and looks after him. But the call that he receives is a call to obedience. And that's always going to be the message. The God of love, the God who reveals himself, will always, 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 always call us to obedience through a relationship with him. And that must have been really, really challenging for Paul. I mean, he is struck with temporary blindness. And this is, this is quite metaphoric as well as physical. And it's almost like a physical representation of something that he has been already. Because that's what Saul has been, spiritually speaking. He was blind. When Stephen preached Christ, he was blind. He couldn't see it. He couldn't understand the message. And now he's blind, and it must have been a humbling experience. Here is the guy, the gung-ho guy, who's going to arrest Christians, and he's going to eradicate Christianity, and he's going to go into Damascus and cause havoc. And suddenly, what you have is a guy who is blind and needs the help of others, totally dependent, humbled. Because when he meets with Christ... He can only rise from that place of humility and dependence on him. And that would have been incredibly challenging. The leader is called to obey in order to be led. He has to go to somebody who will lead him. So deeply humbling. But again, I think there's a, there's a paradigm, there's a pattern here. That is always the case. When we come to Christ, our pride has to be broken. We have to become those who, again, later on, when when Paul writes to the Galatians, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. In other words, the old man is dead. That Saul who was persecuting Christians after he meets Jesus on the way to Damascus, he's dead. He's not there anymore. You would all be familiar with St. Augustine. Well, he's called St. Augustine now. He, wasn't, he was called Augustine of Hippo, who was uh, nothing to do with the animal. It's just the area from Egypt where he was living. And he was an incredibly bright young scholar. Um, and uh, one of the interesting things about his life, he was a bit of a womanizer. So he had loads and loads of affairs, even as a young man. And uh, in one situation... Uh, his mother, Monica, prayed for him for many, many uh, hours to, for, for him to become a follower of Christ. And yet he was incredibly hardened to responding to this. But after Christ revealed himself and after he found Christ, Augustine realized that he needs to change his life. He needs to be different. And on one occasion, he was walking down the street and one of his exes, uh, that's mistresses, not girlfriends, uh, shouted to him from across the street, Augustine, Augustine! 
and he just ignored her and he carried on and she kept kind of trying to follow him and kept shouting again in the busy crowded street Augustine Augustine and uh, he just ignored her and at the end when he couldn't ignore her anymore because she kept she kept shouting and calling him she said it is me it is Claudia Augustine and he just turned around and he said but it is not me anymore in other words the man you used to know before Christ is now gone is dead I'm a different person because that's what happens when you have an encounter with God there's a radical change of life and this is why Saul needs to go through that experience of being humbled being led because he's blind in order to find Jesus and he is dependent on other people to do that the god of love meets Saul Paul a god who speaks him meets him a god who transforms him who changes him you see it's difficult to know from this passage what change occurred in his life so what we're going to need to do is to try to delve into one of two uh, uh, of of Paul's letters that he writes later on in order to understand the change in his life and that's actually very helpful because very often i've met people who have had an alleged encounter with Christ and in the moment or in the week after it seemed like everything has changed and then you meet them down the line say a month on or a year on or 10 years on and you realize there's never been a change so there is something to be said about the change being evident over time and this is what we see in Paul's life it wasn't just that on that moment on that day on the road of the, to damascus he experienced a change but later on as he writes the letters to the churches as he begins to be a missionary for jesus a church planter a pastor a theologian you begin as you read his letters to trace the change that this encounter with god brought in his life let me pull a few things out from him One of them is is something that he says and is recounted by uh, Luke in Acts 20:24. You don't need to turn, just listen to that. Paul was saying this, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly for the gospel of the grace of God. What Paul is saying here I'm leaving absolutely everything that I had before as credentials as badges of merit. I'm leaving them aside and I'm embracing this one mission to talk about the grace of Jesus to everyone. That's a change. He's not chasing Christians. He's preaching the grace of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 12:15 he says this, "I will very gladly spend for you everything I have." and expend myself as well this is a man whose passion has become the preaching of the gospel the establishing of churches the edification of christians and he is fully given he says i'm spending everything that i am and everything that i have no half measures full in romans 1:14 to 15 I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, 
both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Suddenly, he is not just concentrating on Jerusalem or the synagogues. He is going into the entire human realm that for him was the Roman Empire as far as he could go in terms of sharing the gospel, including Christians in Rome. You've got to think that this man was a man who was taught at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee. I don't think um, Rome and Romans would have been high on his agenda in terms of my favorite people. But when the gospel of Christ, when the grace of Jesus comes and meets him on the road to Damascus, he's so changed that he's willing to go anywhere and to anyone to preach about this grace of Christ. But then he has the same passion for his people, for Israel. Look at Romans 9, verses 2 to 4. I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I wish, I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are the Israelites. This is so insightful in terms of the heart of the Apostle Paul. He's almost saying, if it would be possible for the Jews to be saved and for me to be cast off, I'd choose that. He's so passionate to see them come to Christ. This is a man whose heart has been changed by the grace of Jesus. And it includes a passion for salvation for his own people, the Israelites, as well as passion for seeing even the Romans come to know Christ. This is a changed man. Romans verse, chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. He's so passionate to see people come to Christ. Anyone. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is a man whose sole focus of attention is the glory of Jesus. Nothing to do with himself. And he ends up, the hunter begin, he ends up being the hunted. Listen to these words that he writes to the church in Corinth. He's talking about people who are boasting, and he's, he's kind of sarcastic, which is quite funny from Paul. But he's kind of saying, those people are boasting with their credential. Let me tell you what I'm going to boast with. Verses 23 to 28. I boast more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten Times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I have been in, on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers amongst false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. This is a man that is changed. From hunting Christians, he begins to be one of those who is hunted himself. Why does he do all this? It is because he had that encounter on the road of Damascus with a living God, with Christ himself. And the direction of his life was changed forever. 
A God who loves, a God who speaks, a God who changes, has met with Saul, Paul, and his life's never the same. And you know, his story is not unique. Many of us in this room have a story. The details would be very different. But actually, the underlying truth that we see in his encounter are true for us. I met with a God of love, and so probably did you. I met with a God who speaks, and so did probably you. I met with a God who changes me, and you probably did too. So they are true probably for us. And if they aren't true for you, I'm praying that this morning the Spirit of God will speak to you and draw you in because the same God that met with Saul, Paul, that met with me, that met with some of the people in this room, wants to meet with you too. He wants to change the direction of your life. He wants to be the God of love who speaks and he's doing it this morning and who changes you. He wants to do that work in your life as he did it in Paul's life, my life, and some of the people here. And really the encouragement for us is this morning is to be filled with hope. Okay? We live in a fairly hopeless world. He wants to cut themselves off from the news at times. Just thinking, I just don't want to hear anything. <laughs> I don't want to hear anything anymore. Because it is so hopeless. Yet we have a hope. Because the God that encountered Paul and the God that encounters us is a God of hope. If he can change somebody like Paul, he can do anything. I think there's a cause for joy. Because... Although my life was very different than Paul's, I didn't assist anybody's killing. I was just like Paul. I was a sinful man before Christ in need of his grace and salvation. And just like he found Paul, he found me too. And I rejoice in that. I rejoice that he changed the direction of my life. Where would we be if Christ wouldn't have met us? So this morning, we're not just a people of hope, but we're a people of joy. Because of that, not because our circumstances may be all hunky-dory, but because Christ has reached out, stopped us on our way, and said, from now on, turn around, change your direction. And it was an undeserved gift of grace that comes from him. That is a cause of trust in him. Because maybe we know people in our lives that we, we could need to pray for, that they would have the same experience that, that he did. It could be our parents, could be our siblings, could be your children. And, and we keep praying that they would have that experience of a turnaround. Let's not give up hope. This God can do amazing things. If he changed Saul's life, he can change anyone's life. So this morning, this reminder of this encounter should be fuel for prayer, fuel for faith, to be able to continue to press in because God is able. And most importantly, this morning, if you're here, and if you were to look me in the eye and we could have a coffee, just me and you, and I, if I was to ask you that question, have you met with Christ? And he was to say, I, I don't really know. I would say to you, you need to know, you need certainty. And if you're not sure, why not do it? Now, today, here. So this could be your Damascus Road encounter. 
And you could say it on the whatever date we're on today, 13th of November at 11.35 at Calvary Free Methodist Church. As I heard the story of Paul being recounted by Luke, I realized that I'm on my own Damascus Road and I need to have this encounter with Jesus that will change me forever. And there's a before and there's an after. And this God of love is coming to seek for me. This could be the perfect time and a great opportunity. Whatever we identify ourselves with, whether we want to express joy, whether we need that hope, whether we need those encouragements of faith in our praying for unbelievers, or whether we need to respond today, this is a good day. Because the same God of love who speaks wants to keep on changing lives. And I'm still working progress. And I think you are too. But we're coming to this God who wants to keep on doing it in our lives. Going to pray. Let's remain seated while the band, Beth and the band, come back. And then they would lead us in responding. Jesus, we love you. Oh, Jesus, you're so wonderful. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the glimpses that we see there of the beauty of Jesus who reaches out with his love to arrest, spiritually speaking, this man who was on a path of destruction and instead change him forever. From a persecutor to a proclaimer of the good news of Christ. For a man that may have been sincere but mistaken to a preacher of truth, the truth of grace. We thank you that the same God is our God. The same work done in Paul's lives and countless numbers of Christians over the years. It's the same work you want to carry on in our lives too. And all we can do is come to you this morning and say, have me. And maybe if you've never, never, never had such a Damascus Road experience and you want to do it this morning, I want to encourage you just to pray these few words after me. And if you pray these words, just chat to me at the end of the service while we have a brew or speak to somebody else. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you have come to seek and save the lost, the ones like me. I realize I'm sinful. I realize I need your forgiveness. I cherish that freedom from sin and that change that you have to offer. So today, I want to mark it as my Damascus Road experience of turning around, of following you, of saying enough, of leaving the old life behind 
and starting something fresh. So I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm following you as my Savior who forgives my sins. I'm following you as my Lord to whom I submit and want to serve, just like Paul did. Amen. Amen.